You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Busted flat in Baton Rouge, waiting for a train, on us feeling near as faded as my jeans. Bobby thumbed a diesel down just before it rained. And rode us all the way into New Orleans I pulled my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana I was playing soft while Bobby sang the blues Windshield wiper slapping time I was holding Bobby's hand in my Hello and welcome to episode 70 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom, which is brought to you by the Choo True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This episode, I am taking a look at The Nom, issue number 62, which begins another multi-part storyline, which also brings back a couple of characters we've seen before. The story takes place somewhere in 1971, but begins in March of 1971, which is where our song this time around comes from. It's Me and Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin. The song was written by Chris Christofferson, originally recorded by Roger Miller in 1969, and his version reached number 12 on the Billboard Country Charts. It was, however, Joplin's version that proved to be a bigger hit and topped the charts in March of 1971. Sadly, this was a posthumous number one hit, the second posthumous number one hit in Billboard pop chart history, the first of that being of Otis Redding and sitting on the dock of the bay. Joplin died of an overdose only a few days after recording the song, and it is one of her signature tunes off her most successful album, 1971's Pearl. Our issue is called Dirty Deeds, and it was published on September 24, 1991, with a November 1991 cover date. The issue's cover was by Art Nichols and Joseph Rubenstein, and it showed Speed, who is the main character of our story, holding a revolver in one hand while trying to fight the current of a river with another. There's an extreme close-up on his face, and he's obviously scared, as our caption says, trapped underground in the river of death. It's an alright cover. I have a lot of experience with Art Nichols as a penciler, mainly because he was often a fill-in artist in some of the various Teen Titans books during the 1990s. I never didn't like him. I think I had a tendency to not like him as much as I could have because in my mind he was never as good as the artist he was filling in for, usually Tom Grummet. Whereas Art was inside an issue whose cover was penciled by someone like Phil Jimenez, so it was always a bit of a letdown. It sounds harsher than it actually is, trust me. Our interior art is by two artists we are actually already familiar with for this title. It's Wayne Van Zandt on pencils and Kim DeMolder on inks. Chuck Dixon is our writer. Phil Felix is lettering. Ed Lazzaleri is the colorist this time around. Don Daly is your editor. Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. We open with a group of soldiers fleeing a chopper that is taking heavy fire and looks like it's about to explode, and our caption boxes read, It was a cluster hump from the word go. They've been flying in and out all day to a chilly landing zone up north of Bowlock Pass near the Pirate's Beak. Resupply and medevac. Charlie must have been waiting a long time for the juiciest target. A copter, loaded with wounded, March 1971. 
So one of the main people in this scenario is Speed, whom we haven't seen for a few issues. And what happens is that he makes a run for it under heavy fire, and the result is that he's badly wounded and winds up spending Christmas and New Year's in Tokyo, never really getting out of the burn ward. While he's in there, staring at a card from back home for what must be the millionth time, a guy with a mustache comes to see him. He says that he heard Speed is an excellent shot and offers him a job that Speed deduces his special ops. Speed takes the job, although he wonders what he's in for, because a guy who looks like that is obviously not regulation. Some time later in Da Nang, Speed makes his way to the Hotel Brittany. This looks all looks suspicious. It can't be where his orders are sending him. He walks in and sees three men and a woman sitting around a table. He asks for Lieutenant Eisenman, and one in the middle, white-haired and wearing a tropical shirt, corrects him and says, that's Iceman. He introduces... His companions, a Vietnamese officer he calls Little Min, and the others are Augie, Doggy Lamir, and his fiancée, Minky. Speed wonders why they're meeting in a bar, and Iceman says they're on their off time, and besides, special ops isn't exactly done out in the open. He also wants to know if he can trust the guy. Speed says he's been out there plenty of times, and they can count on him. We next see them in a small prop engine plane flying over the jungle. Speed talks to Doggy about Minky... And the guy professes his true love for the woman and is even slightly insulted at Speed's suggestion that she's using him to get to the States. He shows Speed an Uncle Ho medal, which is a fake medal that he's producing so that he can sell to people who want to show off medals. He's actually made quite an amount of money so far. They land in Kantum, which is a province in the central highlands of Vietnam and borders both Laos and Cambodia. Speed refers to it as the Wild Wild West. They are brought into an office where a recording is played for them. It's of a radio broadcast that is spreading anti-American propaganda, as well as misinformation that has got a few people killed. The boss believes it's someone who was on an LRRP that went missing right around where the broadcasts are coming from. They move him around a lot, but they have an idea of where he is. Moreover, they want him taken alive and able to talk so they can turn him over to the CIA. They head down river and talk about where this guy may be and how hard it actually is to find him. Iceman figures that the unit this guy in is with is small, which is how they're able to move around so much. They get off the boat and begin humping it through the jungle nearing the Cambodian border. They come upon a lone enemy soldier whom they take care of quickly. As they get their bearings, Doggy sabotages the dead soldier's AK-47 with some explosives, something Iceman had learned from being in the Phoenix program. Ice dodges the topic and begins rummaging through the soldier's things, then suggests they backtrack where he'd been because he may have been with the soldier they're looking for. Back in Da Nang, Minky arrives home with some groceries and finds her brother fat in her place, bleeding. He's been shot by the police who broke up his student meeting. He tells her he has to get out of there. And it's just then when two MPs burst in and arrest them. Back in the jungle, it's raining. They check in on the radio and wait for the broadcast to begin. Speed is lagging a little but pops a pill. Then Little Min picks up a scent and calls Speed over. He kills another enemy soldier when they find where he came from, a tunnel that begins to the, near the roots of a tree. Little Min and Speed are the only two who can fit into the tunnel and they go inside, crawling a long way down before not finding anything. Suddenly there's a sound and all of a sudden water comes gushing in. The tunnel was designed for runoff, and they're caught in the middle of it. To be continued. So a little peek behind the curtain here to explain how my review kind of formed regarding this issue. When I originally required my full run of the series, I got quite a bit of it very quickly. And in the last years or so's worth, well, that was very hard to come by. 
So what ended up happening is that I read to about issue 70 and stopped because I didn't have all the comics I needed and became busy with other things. So in about eight episodes, we're going to hit some comics I'm reading for the very first time. Even then, I'll have read two times for the episode because I give every book one read through and then pretty much a reread as I'm writing the recap. I say this because this issue gets better when you read it the second time. The first time I read it, I was slightly turned off by the cover. It was not too hot on seeing Iceman again. He was a good character from Doug Murray's run, and I thought he'd gotten a great ending to his story. So I thought it was just an unnecessary inclusion of a character and had the potential to actually ruin him. Plus, I thought that Chuck Dixon was going to do the, quote, shady mission in the jungle storyline a little too often. We'd seen one of these in The Death of Joe Hallen already, and while he didn't write the those two Punisher issues, those were secret mission-like as well. But on the reread, this story really works. Speed was a recent character, and a likable one at that, so we get a little more of his story, and it's been nearly two years since Iceman was last seen. So the idea that he'd get sucked back into something like Special Ops does make sense. Plus, while he seems to be putting up a bit of a front, Ice is still very much himself and hasn't gone completely dirty, as we can see from his reluctance to say anything regarding his time with Project Phoenix. I also have to say I like the MacGuffin here of them having to go after this LRRP guy who's been taken in by the enemy and seems to be working with them. At least a little more interesting angle than some of the more mundane LRRP missions we saw in the past, as well as the drug running stuff. The plot with Minky, whose real name is My Back One, is, uh, by the way, is also interesting. I like how Dixon is also including the general unrest among the citizens in the country in addition to the soldiers' actions. Sure, this is going to tie into the main story because she's Doggy's fiancé, but it's a solid dramatic interlude before we get to the cliffhanger, which, yes, is spoiled by the cover, but it's still a good one nonetheless. How do they get out of these cliffhangers works for comics like this because there isn't a main hero like Batman. If Batman gets swept away by an underground river at the end of an issue of Detective Comics, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure happened in an issue of Detective Comics that Chuck Dixon wrote... Don't quote me on that, though. I don't like dealing with the consequences of my having facts and or opinions that are wrong about a Batman comic. Uh, Anyway, you know he's going to survive because he's Batman. Speed Little Men, they could die or they couldn't. I mean, you don't know. And that is what makes next issue worth picking up. The art is great. Uh, Kim DeMulder was a great addition to Wayne Van Sant's pencils a few issues ago, and I'm glad to see him back. The coloring is pretty solid as well, which is good. It's, it's the first issue in a long time that Phil Felix hasn't colored, and the mood is right throughout. The jungle scenes are darkly lit in a way that gets across the underhandedness of the situation, and what action there is, is dynamic. All around, another one that's worth picking up, and one that continues a very solid run of the comic for Chuck Dixon. That'll be it for the issue. I'll be back in a moment with historical context, letters, and ads. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. 
Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Longbox to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-hosts, the Irredeemable Shag or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Longbox, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. So let's take a look at March of 1971, according to Wikipedia and the History Place. March 1971, a poll, opinion polls indicate Nixon's approval rating among Americans has dropped to 50%, while approval of his Vietnam strategy has slipped to just 34%. Half of all Americans polled believe the war in Vietnam to be, quote, morally wrong. March 1st of 1971, the Capitol building in Washington is damaged by a bomb apparently planted in the protest of the invasion of Laos, the weather underground claims responsibility. March 8th, the Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI breaks into the media Pennsylvania offices of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and removes all the files. On March 10th, China pledges to com complete support for North Vietnam's struggle against the United States. On pop, in pop culture news, on March 28th, the Ed Sullivan Show airs its final episode. On March 29th, Lieutenant William Cowley is found guilty of the murder of 22 My Lai civilians. He is sentenced to life imprisonment with hard labor. However, the sentence is later reduced to 20 years, then 10 years. Out of 16 military personnel charged with offenses concerning the My Lai massacre, only five were actually court-martialed, and only Cowley was ever found guilty. Incoming this month... We have Edgar Medlock of Ozone Park, New York, who says, I've been reading the Nam since issue number one, and you know there are some stories I like and some stories that were well all right, but you do keep me busy. At the beginning of each month, I tear into the store and look in the comic book stands for the Nam, and if it's not there, I am disappointed. Your stories are truly wonderful, but there is one objection that I have. In issue 41, 52, and 53, you included fictional, quote, superheroes. Maybe that was good for the younger readers, but my real heroes were Ed Marks, Michael Burgo, though he got killed, Sergeant Poclo, FSGT Tarver, Thomas, the RTO man with two left feet, Rob, Phillips, Meacham, and Andy. And in the present, you've done, in my opinion, one of the best stories ever, the death of Joe Hallen. Don't worry about Mighty being disappointed at a comic stand because your comic hasn't reached it. The nom is always worth the wait. They said anyone who got lost during Edgar's list of the characters can pick up the classic nom year from the classic nom years can pick up the nom trade paperbacks number one to three to suss what the fuss is about. I have these trade paperbacks. I got them off of eBay. Uh, and the NOM, the early days of the NOM have been collected a couple of times since then as well. I think you can get uh, the first, the first, the Michael Golden, Doug Murray, Michael Golden stuff in trade. Uh, even now, I think it's still in print. We appreciate your kind words for the death of Joe Hallen, Edgar, uh, but we're not resting on our laurels. We'd wake up really stiff and sore if we did. 
Keep on reading and being a friend. Damien C.K. Chambers of Lancashire, England. New Longton, Preston, Lancashire, England, writes in, I am 14 year, I am fourteen, and in two military cadet forces, which are the Marines and the Parachute Regiment. I am at these cadets every night of the week. In fact, I have earned the nickname of the Commando Kid. I've been collecting a comic for years now. I was wondering if there were any cadet forces like mine during the Vietnam War, and what was the public's reaction to them? I'm hoping to enter either the Royal Marines or the Parachute Regiment of the Army, so I would love to hear from anyone in the services over there. Thanks for a lot of the... Thanks a lot for the great comic and good luck for future issues, though you don't and won't need it. We're not sure there are any forces like yours in England or the U.S. The Boy Scouts of America have been around for a good long time, but fun as they are, they aren't exactly the, the Marines or paratroopers. If such a thing existed, we figured that the public's reaction would be much as the same as the reaction to the war itself. Few would protest, a few would support, and most would just let it be as long as it didn't interrupt their lifestyles although what he's describing sounds like something like either a military school or civil air patrol which does have a lot of high school people involved in it so um that was that was mine not the editor's commentary there last uh letter is from chuck mongrel i stubbins address withheld by request your book is completely awesome. I love seeing all of the hardware and the firefights, especially when you show the NVA and their cronies getting wasted. One request, make a companion book to the NAM, your greatest combat ever, called The Gulf. Show everyone how we socked it to Saddam like the most powerful nation ever seen on this God's green earth should. Show the nasty, gory details that CNN covered up with their stupid plastic-faced anchor dummies, and show the wasting of Baghdad, but this time have that goofball nuthead city nuked. I bet that you'd have a surefire big, big, biggest seller with this one. And the idea is free for your use, but not anyone else's. Make it as realistic as you can, but throw in any heroes you feel like including. It'd be cool to see Wolvie or Cap kill some enemy troops. And both of them have to get up close and personal with, to, well, to do it. Gorgalore. I can't tell if this person's serious or if they're being like satirical or sarcastic. But then again, it was the 90s. Whatever you do, don't let whoever wrote the you. I love this. Whatever you do, don't though. Don't let whoever wrote New Universes the War write this. He had his chance and he blew it big time. Well, uh, mongrel, I we're not too sure about the golf idea, but we're glad you liked the nom enough to share it with us. And shame on you for not noticing it was our own peerless former scribe Doug Murray who penned the War, which we might add everyone did not think was blown big time. Keep on reading and writing. Yeah, I can't tell about that particular letter, if that was a real person, or if it was a real letter, or if they were being serious, or they were trying to be funny. Um, really, really interesting right there. No pinups this month, courtesy of Wayne Van Zandt, so we'll go right into the ad. We're going to go with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog on the inside um, on the inside cover. Uh, I'm reading currently reading a book called Console Wars, which was the history of the Genesis and Nintendo, the video game uh, industry in the early 1990s. It's really, really interesting, and I do suggest picking it up. Some really, really good inside information there. Over 25 million lives will be saved. It's um, the Game Genie, which I had at one point, or a friend had loaned me at one point. We play, used to play a lot of games on the Game Genie. Uh, sometimes it worked out well. Sometimes it didn't. 
Uh, Bobby Orr and Eric Lindros joined Score's winning team. So there's Score hockey cards. These were a big deal. I remember these were some of the first hockey cards I ever got. Um, There is some more Marvel t-shirts, one of which is an all-over t-shirt that reprints X-Men, the cover of X-Men number one. Um, we have another, the same American Comics and Entertainment we had with Jean Grey's nipples uh, from last issue. A lot of the same, some of the same ads, some of the same, again, the X-Men. No glossy insert this time at the Staples, but there is an X-Men 1-900 game ad. The same one, in fact. Uh, we're in the September bullpen bulletins. There's still some of the uh, image people are still around because they mentioned Mark Silvestri. He's working on some a Wolverine Punisher graphic novel. Larry Stroman is doing X-Factor and a bookshelf format Black Widow. Marv Wolfman is currently pulling up the stakes haha, on his Tomb of Dracula limited series with Gene Colan. And he spent the summer preparing to get married into the fall with his lovely fiance Noel. Um... Greg Capullo is penciling Quasar. He had just gotten married. Dennis Cowan and X-Force's Rob Liefeld uh, were in commercials. Dennis was featured in an ad for Dewar's Whiskey. And Rob was in the 501 Jeans commercial. So how long have you been drawing comic books? Until I was about seven years old, little kid. What would your parents think about it? They hated it. They hated it. Oh, yeah. After I, I got a job and they saw that you can make a living out of third day, you'll hear no complaints anymore. And you created X-Force? Mm-hmm. So what is this drawing on? This is the Spike Man. And what's this right here? This is the camera on top of your head that will record the wrongdoings of others. So Rob, have you had any formal art training? No. Just uh, a lot of imagination, I think. Wait, so, so I say it and then look down? Or just open it and say it? Fly button? Always interesting. Oh, Rob, Rob, Rob. Uh, there's a One Million Comics Presents ad, uh, very similar to what we would see with classic back issues. Uh, a, a PSA for the Boys Town National Hotline, um, which is, I believe, regarding uh, mental illness, abuse, um, anger, things like that. It shows the Hulk and Bruce Banner, and it says, we all must deal with the monster within. Uh, there is a house ad for Remo Williams. Remo Williams returns with all new ventures in The Destroyer. Four action-filled issues. Look for The Destroyer trade paperback reprinting three original stories from the first time in full color plus four or all new stories. The adventure continues this October, and I can't tell who is doing the art. Oh, it's Walt Simonson. That is Walt Simonson art. So There is a... Uh, Legion of Night by Steve Gerber and Wills Portacio. Fear abounds as the Legion confronts the Fellowship and Fing Fang Foom on sale in September from Marvel Comics. Holiday Savings Coupon, although it's, you know, so this time it's Cap coming at us saying get a friend to subscribe and subtract an additional 250 from your total order. There is a uh, TSR Dark Sun campaigns for Dungeons and Dragons with the typical barbarians and, and, and women. And then there's a Wolverine in an X-Men Mega Battle versus Sabretooth and Magneto for the Nintendo Entertainment System for L from LJN. 
And that'll do it. Uh, a little bit shorter an episode this time around, but um, we will continue next episode with the Nam number 63, which is part two of the storyline. Until then, you can always check out the website for show notes. Feel free to leave a comment or send me some feedback. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. reached the end of another episode of In Country. All stories and characters are copyright Marvel Comics, and all other media referenced are copyright their respective copyright holders, and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com, and you can follow the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. Show notes and extras can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. Please support this podcast and all the other Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com anytime you shop. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for the latest chapter in the saga of The Nog.